Good morning, everyone. If I haven't met you before, my name is Craig. So good to have you with us this morning. I uh, just want to let you know as we start that uh, today we're going to be talking about Jesus and demons. And uh, that's a pretty intense topic, and I'm excited to dive into it. But I want to tell you up front, uh, in case parents you think that might be a little bit uh, too intense for your kids, uh, I want to let you know that you can certainly use your discernment on that. Uh, back in March, just before everything got shut down, I think the week before actually, there was a, a woman who walked into the church uh, from the street or drove in. Um, that's not totally unusual, but because of where our church building is located, people don't usually just wander by. But she came in and she said, I, I live nearby and I've seen the sign on Fraser Highway that there's a church down here and I, I wanted to come and, and see it. And so Sandy and Megan in our front office showed her around a little bit and she asked if she could talk to someone. And so I was in my office and I invited her to come and sit down and, and for an hour we, we talked. Mostly she talked. I didn't talk a whole lot in that, that first conversation. Uh, and as she started talking, like I try to do when I'm talking with anyone, in particular someone I don't know, I was asking the Holy Spirit, what do I need to know about this person? And I felt like God was saying to me, well, first of all, uh, she's walked through some pain in her life. And second of all, there's a spiritual reality behind what she's saying here that you need to pay attention to. And so sure enough, she told me her story and how she'd been involved with different kinds of, of uh, spiritualities and religions and, and attempts to connect with God. And some of it sounded pretty, pretty dark. And at one point in the conversation, about two-thirds of the way through maybe, she looked at me and she said, you might think I'm crazy, but I think I hear demons. You might think I'm crazy, but I think I hear demons. So, so pause the story right now, and, and I, I want to invite you to sit in my chair across from this woman, and I want to ask you, what would you have said in that moment? How would you have responded to this person that you just met and had confessed to you that she's hearing demons? So what, what would you say? I'm guessing that your answer probably has a lot to do with the way that you were raised and the tradition upon which you were raised. If you were raised in the church, for instance, and raised in a, a more charismatic tradition than uh, us as Mennonite brethren tend to be, uh, maybe you'd say, oh yeah, that's, that's normal. Uh, you know, I've heard about that. We've talked about that a lot. Um, you know, uh, freeing people from demons or exorcisms, that's, I, I've seen that. That's, that's part, of, part of the upbringing that, that I was involved in. Uh, if you were, grew up in a, a more conservative tradition, maybe you, you wouldn't have talked about that very much. Maybe you would be unsure as to how to respond to that kind of a statement because it's not something that you talked about a lot. So I, I grew up in the Mennonite Brethren Church, this church actually, uh, and I went to uh, Briarcrest Bible College for two years. I finished up my Bachelor of Arts in Youth Work at Columbia Bible College here in Abbotsford. And three years ago, uh, I, I earned a Master of Divinity at Mennonite Brethren Biblical Seminary. Now, I don't tell you my credentials to try to sound impressive. I tell you my credentials to say in all of that church upbringing and all of that schooling, I don't remember talking about demons very much. Uh, talking about demons was limited really to reading New Testament stories. And there wasn't a whole lot of reflection on what that should mean for us today. Now, that's not to say that that never happened. It's just to say that I don't remember it happening which means that it probably wasn't emphasized very strongly uh, in my upbringing. So I'm sitting there across from this woman. She says, I think I hear demons. Now in God's providence and God's timing is always perfect. Just weeks before she came into the church, I'd attended a conference where deliverance ministry, freeing people from demonic oppression was discussed. And not just discussed, the, the person leading the conference actually led us through a process by which we would help someone find freedom. Uh, we would help free people from, from demons in their lives. 
It was the first time I've ever been trained on how to do that. And uh, it was God's timing. And I, I remember going home from that conference and saying to my wife, I, I feel both frustrated and, and uh, really excited about this. I feel frustrated that I haven't learned this already. But I feel really excited because it, it's bringing a, a, a power to the faith that I've read about in the scripture, but haven't experienced in my own life. Like I've, I've often read the miracles of Jesus and even read Acts where the apostles are doing all these amazing things with healing and driving out demons and, and thought, well, if the church is supposed to continue to do the things that Jesus did, why am I not seeing this kind of thing happen? There was a bit of dissonance as I read that and compared it with my own experience. And so I was excited that that this training that I went through allowed me to, to do this kind of thing and, and to realize it's a part of what it is that we can do as followers of Jesus because of the power of Christ at work in us. And so this lady sitting there, and, and those of you who've been around our church the last number of months know that this is Lisa. Uh, Lisa came into the church that day and has since been baptized and has shared her story with you. And I thank her for allowing me to share her story from my perspective. And I looked at Lisa and I said, you're not crazy. Uh, this is a, a very legitimate thing that you're bringing to my attention. And so let's talk about it. And over subsequent meetings, the first step was actually to, to lead Lisa to faith in Christ. And I was privileged to do that, but that was all God's work. God was leading her down that road and leading her to our church on that particular day. And once she had claimed faith in Christ, we were able to get her free from the demonic oppression that she was feeling. Uh, we, we were able to go through a process uh, in order to set her free. Now, will Lisa have to continue to choose to walk in freedom? Uh, will she have to choose to grow in maturity? Of course she will, just like all of us do. But we were able on that day to take a significant step to freeing her from what it was that she was experiencing. Now, we're talking about this today because we come to a story in Mark, and we're studying Mark's uh, biography of Jesus' life in our series we're calling Find and Follow. We come to a story where Jesus has this powerful encounter with this man who is oppressed by demons. Demon-possessed is how he's described. And Jesus has this experience with him. And so we're going to read this story, but I'm going to approach it a little bit differently than other stories we've read so far in Mark. I'm going to approach this one topically more than I am textually. So that means this story is going to introduce us to the topic of demons, and we're going to look at at the rest of Scripture to see what it, what it teaches us. We, we won't get into the nitty-gritty of this story as much as, as we have in past weeks. But nonetheless, let's read it together and see how it is that it, it explores this topic. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 1. They, that's Jesus and the disciples, remember they just crossed the Sea of Galilee. Jesus had calmed the storm, and, uh, and here they are, crossing the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an impure spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me? Jesus, Son of the Most High God, in God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, what is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. A legion, by the way, is a Roman detachment of soldiers, about 6,000. So uh, whether or not this guy had 6,000 de demons, the point is he had a lot. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. 
A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission and the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Now, let's just pause there for a moment because a common question about this story or comment maybe is of those poor pigs. <laughs> like, why did Jesus do that to those poor pigs? Uh, well, first of all, Jesus didn't do it to the poor pigs. The demons did it to the pigs. They were the ones who drove those pigs into the water. It also illustrates, though, that Jesus is more concerned about the eternal state of this guy's soul than he is about these animals. Not that Jesus doesn't care about animals. Of course he does. But humans, as image bearers of God, uh, the pinnacle of God's creation, this is what God is most concerned about. And by the way, Jewish readers of this story would have found this hilarious, that these unclean spirits went into these unclean animals and rushed into the lake. They probably would have smirked at that a little bit. Verse 14, those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And all of the people were amazed. When it comes to the demonic, uh, we need to make a comment about worldview. When Mark talks about people who are demon-possessed, and other New Testament writers do the same, they don't spend any time trying to convince us that demons are real. They just assume that it is because it's a part of the Jewish worldview. William Barclay writes that a common saying actually in, in the Jewish worldview at that time was this, a legion of hurtful spirits is on the watch for men saying, when shall he fall into the hands of one of these things and be taken? Okay, this is the understanding that these evil spirits lurked and were looking for an opportunity to pounce. But of course, times and worldviews change, and particularly uh, for us here in the West, when the Enlightenment came along and modernism became established as the dominant worldview uh, of our, of our uh, area of the world, the supernatural was kind of crowded out. You know, why attribute anything to a god or a supernatural being that we could instead attribute to a logical, rational explanation? You know, that's what we want to find. We want to find facts. We want to find data. We want to find scientific explanations, not a supernatural explanation. Uh, Rob Reamer, who is the guy who led the conference that I referenced earlier and who wrote Soul Care, uh, he, he writes about his, uh, what he calls his Scooby-Doo theory. Have you ever watched Scooby-Doo? Uh, I actually have never watched Scooby-Doo, but from what I understand, it's about a group of kids who have this dog, Scooby-Doo, and they go around solving these kind of mysteries. So something will happen at the beginning of the episode, and it, and it often will look like there's a ghost that's responsible for a certain act in the show. And uh, in the, the, the olden days of this show, what would happen is that these kids would set out to work and figure out what would happen. And by, by the end of the show, the ghost was not a ghost any longer. There was an explanation. There was a, a force behind whatever had happened that made logical sense. There's a worldview being promoted that behind whatever looks like a supernatural event or force, there's a, a logical, rational explanation for it. So Rob Reamer tells about how once he was an adult, he was visiting some friends and, and the, the kid of these friends was watching Scooby-Doo. 
And so he thought, oh, I'm going to go watch with the kid for a few minutes. And he sat down and watched, and there was a ghost at the beginning of the episode. And much to his surprise, by the end of the episode, the ghost was still a ghost. There was no modernistic explanation for what had happened any longer. There was still this supernatural being that was responsible for whatever had happened. And he thought, there's a shift in worldview happening right here. There's no longer a need to deny the supernatural, but we can actually embrace the supernatural. Uh, media, culture, uh, pop culture, you know, the things that we watch on TV, the, the music that we listen to, serves as both a map and a mirror of our society. It's, it's a mirror in that it reflects back to us our own cultural values and priorities and, and the things that we hold to. But it also serves as a map. It shows us where we ought to go. It's aspirational. It tells us that this is the, the, the values that we should pursue. And so over the last number of decades, there's been all kinds of, of TV shows in particular that have embraced the supernatural, right? I, I can remember uh, Touched by an Angel was a show when I was a kid that was hugely popular. This idea that angels could interact with humans was, was kind of mind-blowing to people. Um, fast forward a little bit, remember the TV show Lost was awash in the supernatural and this battle between uh, the, the supernatural and the, the rational, like that there's this battle going on and, and supernatural forces at work. Um, uh, lots of other TV shows, e- even the, uh, the um, Avengers movies that are so popular today, there's these characters that have supernatural power and, and it draws our interest, it draws our attention. There, there's something about all of that that the church can embrace because the Bible clearly presents a supernatural worldview, that there are spiritual beings uh, in, in the world that, that God is this all-powerful supernatural being that cares for us, that created us, that loves us. But there's also this struggle between good and evil in the heavenly realms that we can often be unaware of. There's a supernatural element that we can embrace. So to, the, to that supernatural element we turn, we're going to look at three different things here. We're going to look at demons in the Bible. We're going to look at, at demons today. What should we think about that? And then we're going to look at our responsibility. And all throughout the way, we're, we're going to remind ourselves of this main point, that Jesus is mightier than demons. Jesus is mightier than demons. He always has been and he always will be. We see this in Mark 5 and we see this in the modern day. So first, let's look at demons in the Bible. The first question that comes to our mind is, where did they come from? Now, when we talk about the origin of demons and the origin of Satan, the, the most commonly accepted theological view is that they, they used to be angels created by God. Angels are created beings uh, with the intention of serving God, uh, praising God, and having some role in the world, which we are largely unaware of mostly, I think. Um, these angels were given moral agency so they could choose between good and evil, and Satan rebelled against God, uh, chose in his pride uh, to uh, desire worship for himself rather than worshiping God. And he fell from heaven and many other angels fell with him who now serve him uh, as demons. We see this in 2 Peter 2 verse 4 and, and Jude verse 6. Uh, and some Old Testament passages lead us to believe this. I, I do want to say that, that though that seems to be the, the best explanation that we find in Scripture, we do need to hold it loosely and humbly because nowhere does a, a biblical author really set out to tell us exactly what happened. So we're trying to piece it together as best we can, but we do need to say ultimately we don't know for sure. Demons are in service of Satan, and we know from John 10.10 that the thief comes, Satan comes to steal and kill and destroy. That's his purpose. 
Uh, He's not out for our good. He's out for our harm, and demons serve that purpose. The Greek word for Satan is is usually diabolos, which means to throw against, uh, and often is translated as accuser. He accuses us uh, constantly. Uh, that's, That's what he does. Uh, he tempts people to evil. We see that uh, Jesus is tempted himself in Matthew chapter 4. He tempts us to evil. We see that in Matthew 13 and in Luke 22 and 1 Peter 5 and in other places. By the way, I'm going to list a lot of scriptures here today, and they're all found in the, the sermon outline. If you're watching on Sunday morning, there's a notes tab, uh, or it's on our church app, this, uh, this outline with all of these scripture passages. Uh, Satan deceives people and his demons deceive people. Uh, and often they, they do that, and, and 2 Corinthians 11 says that Satan masquerades himself as an angel of light. He makes himself look good, but really he's about our harm. I, I can remember when I was a, a kid, a teenager, uh, family gatherings at, at Christmas and Thanksgiving were always a huge highlight. Uh, my mom, and both my parents actually had five siblings. On my mom's side, there was tons of cousins. And so we would sit at these long tables and, and have Thanksgiving dinner. I can remember one year, I had my plate full of food, and um, my grandma would make these amazing buns. And so I had one of these buns on my plate, and I had buttered it, and I, I had it there. I had to get up for some reason, maybe to get a drink or some cutlery or something. And while I was away from the table, one of my cousins decided he was going to take this bun that I had on my plate, and he was going to take mashed potatoes, and he was going to spread mashed potatoes on the bun so it kind of looked like butter still. And then he loaded it with salt, like an obscene amount of salt. And he spread it all in there and hoped I wouldn't notice. And I came back, and I didn't notice. And I took a bite of this bun, thinking it was my grandma's delicious bun with just a little bit of butter on it. Instead, I got a mouthful of salt. And I recoiled at the amount of salt that was on this bun. I ran to the bathroom. My face was red. My eyes were running. I like dry heaved this bun out of my mouth because it was so disgusting. This is what Satan does, okay? He takes something that is really good and he twists it and he distorts it so that when we take a bite, we realize that we've just tasted something disgusting that's harmful for us. So he'll take something like like love and sex and he'll say, you know, God's put these restrictions or guidelines around this that that, that are just, and Satan will convince us they're not for our good. He'll say, why don't I, I take love and sex and make it look really attractive in this context, outside of the context for which God designed it? And ultimately, this is going to harm you, but I'm going to make it look really appealing and really attractive. He does this with all kinds of things. He masquerades as an angel of light, trying to trick, trying to deceive. He blinds people to truth, 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and he opposes and hinders spiritual progress, 1 Thessalonians 2.18. Now, when we read the New Testament, we read that demons have all kinds of different effects on people. Often we read about these as physical effects like disease and inability to speak, blindness, convulsion, self-harm, and paralysis. Now, to be clear, uh, not every instance of these things is connected with demon possession or demonic influence. But in Mark, one quarter of the healings that Jesus does are accompanied by uh, an exorcism. And so there is a connection in some of these cases. Uh, Demons bring self-destruction to whoever they inhabit, uh, and there are different levels of affliction uh, which they might uh, put on a person. Matthew 12, 45 helps us to see that. 
a demonization is not necessarily linked to sin. It's not necessarily the, the case that someone has sinned and then a, de- a demon entered them. For instance, in Mark 5, Jesus doesn't tell this guy to repent before he can drive out the demon. Uh, he, he just speaks it and, and it happens. In fact, Jesus never tells someone to repent when he drives out a demon. Uh, he, he just speaks and his authority drives that demon away. Uh, we also uh, understand that demons can affect Christians and non-Christians. You know, Jesus did his deliverance often with God-fearing Jewish people. Now, there were no Christians at the time per se, but these were people who had been uh, afflicted and yet still honored God and, God, and Jesus went to them and, and delivered them. Uh, if, if Satan couldn't touch the church, uh, why would we be instructed to put on spiritual armor, right? We, we ought to be thinking about this and, and protecting ourselves. Uh, if conversion was all that was necessary for demons to leave, then Jesus probably would have just focused on doing that rather than on simply driving out demons. Now, we do need to say one thing about uh, demon possession. That's often what, how the phrase in Greek is translated in our New Testament. That person is demon-possessed. Uh, that's a, a fine translation, but the Greek doesn't really carry with it the idea of ownership, right? So I could say to you that this Bible is my possession. I own it, right? But Satan can never say that he possesses someone and owns someone. You know, th- those of us who have put our faith in Christ, we are owned by God. He has bought and paid for us. He created us, sacrificed himself for us. We are his. We belong to him completely. There's no question of ownership but demons can still have influence in our lives. Now, let's think about demons today. Uh, Let's look at a couple of passages here because there's no reason for us to think that demons aren't active today. We read that in uh, 1 Timothy 4.1. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Uh, We we also read in uh, Ephesians chapter 6, And we'll reference this passage a couple of times uh, throughout the next few minutes. In verses 10 to 12, Paul says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Okay, spiritual forces of evil, powers of the dark world. Okay, we're talking about Satan and his minions. This is who we deal with. Now, I said earlier, demons can have different levels of impact, and I think that's still true today, different levels of severity. Uh, We see this in Mark. Uh, In Mark 9, the, the disciples try to drive out a demon, and they've driven out demons before, so they should have been able to do it. But this case, they couldn't do it. And they go to Jesus and say, well, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus says, well, this kind comes out only by prayer. So there is something different about this demon that the disciples couldn't quite manage in that moment. Uh, In Mark 5, the the exorcism that we read about with this demon-possessed man uh, actually seems a little bit more difficult than in Mark chapter 1, where Jesus just speaks, quiet, be still, and the demon leaves. Uh, Here, Jesus says... uh, to the evil spirit that they ought to leave and they have this kind of conversation and the evil spirit responds and says, well, don't, don't send us out of the area. And there's almost a back and forth. Now, to be clear, the demons have no power against Jesus, right? This is one of the reasons why Satan utilizes these demons. And when we talk about God, we use theological terms. We say like Jesus, uh, God is omniscient. It means he knows everything. He's omnipotent. It means he's all powerful. He's omnipresent, which means he's everywhere at the same time. Satan is none of those things. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-knowing. 
And he can't be everywhere at once. And so his minions, his demons are about doing his work. Uh, so when we sing the song, you know, what a beautiful name it is, we sing, you know, you have no rival, you have no equal. It's completely true. Satan is not a rival or an equal to God. But Satan still does have some power, and he still does have some knowledge, and he still can uh, tempt us in a lot of different ways. So we need to be aware of how it is that he works. So what kind of effect do demons have on people today? Um, It seems less common today that some of the physical and psychological effects that we read about in the New Testament are how demons affect people, but certainly they can. Uh, They can manifest themselves with those psychological and and physical uh, kinds of things. It's not always the case. Uh, Not every illness is attributed to a demon. Not every mental illness is attributed to a demon. In fact, probably most of them aren't. But there are, there are uh, physical problems that require physical solutions. There are psychological problems that require psychological solutions. And there are spiritual problems that require spiritual solutions. And so there's discernment that needs to take place. Um, more common, I think, here is that demons cause a great deal of shame in a person. Uh, a person who is influenced by a demon will have a constant inner critic telling them that they are not good enough that they can't be good enough, that what they did disqualifies them from God's love, that what happened to them disqualifies them from God's love. They will live in shame. They will hide in darkness. Uh, Sometimes people who are influenced by demons will have dreams, dark dreams, really dark dreams. Sometimes they'll wake up in the middle of the night and sense a presence in the room. Sometimes they'll see things or hear things. These are ways in which demons can influence people today. Now, how they enter a person, how they get access, uh, on one level, it's not completely clear because demons don't play by a set of rules. They don't play fair. Satan doesn't care about, you know, following any kind of rules. Uh, Sometimes, uh, writes Rob Reamer, demons will enter through abuse that happened to a person, even in childhood. That's not fair, uh, but it can be the reality. Um, Oftentimes, demons get, gain access because of continual and habitual sin in our lives. So, Ephesians 4, verse 26 and 27, this is what Paul writes there. He says, In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Now, I think we often read the first part of that verse and focus there rather than the second part. Uh, so we, we kind of take the approach, well, I, I need to take care of everything before I go to sleep at night. And, and that's a good practice. But I think the principle at play there is you need to take care of conflict as soon as possible. So don't live with unresolved conflict in your life. Deal with it as soon as you can. But when you don't do that, you give the devil a foothold. That word foothold in Greek is the word topos, which means a, a place, physical place to stand. So we can, through unresolved conflict or other sin in our lives, give the devil a place to stand in our lives. And when we give the devil a place to stand, he has access to us. And sometimes that's through demonic oppression. Now, that doesn't mean every time you sin, a demon enters you. That doesn't mean even if you struggle with certain sins that a a demon is inside of you. But we open ourselves up to that if we continue to live in sin. Uh, There's a town called Barrow in northern Alaska and many northern towns across Canada. Uh, The sun went down there the other day, and the sun won't come up again until January 23rd. (laughs) 
they'll be able to see some light on the horizon for a lot of the days, but they live in polar darkness for 66 days in a row. (laughs) And I think to myself, what a depressing place to live, to be in the darkness all the time. But some people live in spiritual darkness all of the time. They live with secrets and they live with shame and they live with sin that they, they hide and they cover up and they don't want anyone else to know about. They choose to live in darkness. This, this is where the enemy lives, in darkness. And when we embrace darkness in our own lives, we give the enemy access to us. So 1 John chapter 1, in verses 5 to 7 This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not walk out the truth, do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's an invitation to us to to continually live in the light, to bring things out of the darkness of our lives and put them in the light of Jesus And we will have fellowship with one another and fellowship with God when we do this. I also want to say as we talk about demons, there's a a caution that I need to to speak here. There's a a danger in both overemphasizing and underemphasizing the reality of this spiritual battle that we're in and the role of demons in the world today. I think it's probably true that the church has underemphasized this reality. Uh, a danger of underemphasizing it is that we're vulnerable to attack and to the, the influence of evil in our lives. If we're not aware that we're in a war, we're going to get ambushed. We're, we're going to be surprised by the attacks of the enemy and we won't have a defense because we weren't prepared. Uh, another danger of underemphasizing this, as Rob Reamer says, it, it's cosmic treason for the church to hold the keys of the kingdom of God Uh, to affect the power of God in the world and not to use them. So in other words, if people really are wrestling with demonic oppression in their lives and we as the church can free them from that and we don't do it, we're doing a disservice to the kingdom of God. We're not fulfilling the call that Jesus has put upon the church. So that's a danger of underemphasizing it. There's also a danger in overemphasizing it. If we overemphasize the role of evil and demons in our world today, We're going to live in fear and we're going to live in paranoia. We're going to be afraid of every little thing in our life and think, was was that a demon? Was was that Satan at work? You know, stub my toe. Well, there's Satan, right? Uh, And we can't live that way and we shouldn't live that way because we have the power of Christ in us and Jesus is mightier than demons. So if we're committing ourselves to follow him and we're doing our best to live in the light, we have nothing to fear. We have nothing to be paranoid about because Jesus is stronger. Uh, overemphasizing uh, the reality of demons and evil in our world can also lead us to avoid responsibility for our own stuff, right? It leads us to say, well, I'm really sorry I lied to you. That was, that was a demon. It wasn't me. Uh, or I'd really like to take responsibility for my pornography addiction, but I can't, you know, it's, it's, an en- it's the enemy, it's Satan. It's him doing it, not me. And we can avoid taking responsibility for things that we really ought to lean into and cooperate with God's spirit in order to take care of. So we don't want to overemphasize it, but we also don't want to underemphasize the role of evil and the enemy in our world. So then lastly, let's talk about our responsibility. How should we respond to this? 
If it's true that demons are active in our world, and I believe it is, what, what should we do about it? Okay, first, uh, three things, uh, four things, actually. The first one is to sniff out the devil's tricks. Sniff out the devil's tricks. So, over the last couple of months, my wife, Jenny, has been working at Starbucks. And when she comes home from a four- or six-hour shift at Starbucks, she smells a lot like coffee. Now, I know I offended many of you a couple of weeks ago when I told you that I don't eat cheese on my hamburgers. And I still hold that that's the best way to eat a hamburger. So you can still disagree with me. I'm going to offend you even further, some of you, when I tell you I don't drink coffee. Now, I know I have a few allies out there in the crowd that also don't drink coffee. But I never grew up with coffee in the house. My parents never drank it. So I don't even like the smell of coffee. Uh, It's not that it's bad. I just would prefer not to smell it than to smell it. So when Jenny comes home from work, I give her like a little pat on the back hug and say, go get changed and have a shower because you smell like coffee and I don't like the smell. Uh, A couple weeks ago, she left the house in the morning to take the kids to school. She wasn't going to work. She just was taking the kids to school. And when she came home, she sat down next to me and I looked at her and I gave a few sniffs and I dug my nose into her shoulder and went, you were at Starbucks, weren't you? And she said, wow, you've got a really good nose. I I just picked up coffees for the kids' teachers on my way to school. I was there for maybe five minutes. I could smell it because it's a smell I don't like. Christians, this is how we should uh, be operating when it comes to Satan's tricks. We should be able to smell them. This isn't quite right. This isn't the truth. This isn't God's way. So in 1 John uh, 4 verse 1, John writes, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is in the world. So actually, if we were doing deliverance ministry, we would look at this verse and we would address the spirit and and ask them this question and other questions. Do you acknowledge that Jesus Christ came in the flesh? Demons can't lie for very long. Their, Their hatred for Jesus is so strong that they will deny Jesus. And then you can deal with them and, and set the person free. So 1 John 4, 1, 2 Corinthians uh, verses, um, uh, chap, no, let me, uh, chapter 10, verses 3 to 5 also lead us in this direction. This is what Paul writes there. He says this, For we wage, though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. We take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought. We give it the smell test, so to speak, and take it captive to Christ. This is why in Romans 12, Paul says, do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is when you know what God's will is, you also know what God's will isn't. So be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we, how do we know? How do we do this sniff test? Well, we spend a lot of time reading the scriptures so we know what God's will is. We spend a lot of, spend a lot of time praying. We ask God to reveal his will to us. We listen to what the Spirit is saying and we discern in community 
uh, what is of God and what isn't. We need each other to do this. So we sniff out the devil's tricks. Secondly, we protect ourselves. You know, Paul writes that we ought to put on the armor of God. Uh, He says in verse 13 of Ephesians 6, Therefore put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you might be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. Stand firm then. He says stand three times in short order. It's like a a boxer in a fight. You want to be the last person standing. You, You want the devil to be the one on the ground. And when we operate with the power of Christ in us, that's what can happen. We put on the armor of God. We we put on the the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the the boots of peace. We take up the shield of faith. Uh, We take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit. We spend lots of time in prayer. This is the way in which we defend ourselves against what the enemy is up to. We protect ourselves. That is a a daily, continual activity. Thirdly, we don't live in fear. Do not fear. We know God's power and God's victory. We know the truth that Jesus has won the victory. Colossians 2, 13 to 15 says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In verse 15, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He dealt a decisive blow against the power of Satan and his minions in this world. But we do live in the already and not yet. The already, the victory has been won, but the final blow has not yet been dealt where these powers of evil will be forever destroyed. We live in that tension. But we don't need to fear because we know how how the story ends, right? I told you a few months ago about how um, at the beginning of the pandemic, they were playing old sports games on TV and they were playing game seven between Chicago and Vancouver in 2011. And, and in 2011, I can remember the day I was very nervous. I was very anxious. I was very worried about whether the Canucks were going to win or lose. And when Chicago scored with a minute left to send the game to overtime, I was panicking. I was distraught, like this isn't going to go the way that I hope it's going to go. But of course, Alex Burroughs scored the goal that slayed the dragon in overtime and on the Canucks went. Watching it in 2020, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't anxious because I knew how the game ended. There was no question in my mind about who was going to win. And so when Chicago scored with a minute left, it didn't bother me because I knew what was coming. Christians, we know what's coming. We know that the battle has been won and will be won. And so we do not need to live in fear of what Satan wants to do in the here and now. We should be aware. We should protect ourselves, but we do not need to be afraid. Uh, Origen, an early church father, said this, the, the Christian, the true Christian, I mean, who has submitted to God alone and his word, will suffer nothing from demons, for he, he, capital H, God, is mightier than demons. For we despise them, and demons, when despised, can do no harm to those who are under the protection of him who alone can help all and who deserve his aid. We live under God's protection. The Spirit of God lives inside of us, and Jesus is mightier than demons. So fourth, we ought to resist the devil. Now, James 4 tells us this, that uh, in chapter 4, verse 7, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. 
So when we resist the devil by drawing near to God and confessing our sin, the enemy will run away. He has no power to stay when we stand on the truth and when we walk in the light. And so that's our, our, our task, is to, to keep our accounts short with God and with others, to confess sin, to hold no secrets within us, to, to hold nothing in the darkness where the enemy might be able to, to, to grab a place to stand. We live in the light, we confess our sin, we walk in the spirit, and the enemy will flee from us. We can have confidence of that. So we sniff out the devil's tricks, we protect ourselves by putting on the armor. We don't fear, and we resist the devil and draw near to God. So we've covered a lot, (laughs) and there's a lot more we could cover in relation to this topic. Here's what I want to say as we close. If this is something you want to explore further or want to ask about uh, your own life and things that you've been experiencing, maybe you know, when I talked about this, this constant inner critic and this deep shame, maybe you thought, mm, that's something I experience. I'd love to talk with you further and discover with you by talking to God together if there's a, another, layer, layer, uh, another level of freedom that we can, we can claim on your behalf. In Christ. But I also want to say, you don't need to live in fear. You don't need to walk around now going, I wonder if I have a demon. Okay, that that would be the wrong thing to take away from this message. We know that Jesus is mightier than demons. We know that if we walk in the light and we stand in the truth, that the enemy will flee. So don't walk in fear. And if you want to explore more, I'm happy to explore more with you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are so powerful and that you demonstrated that as you walk the earth, that you are stronger than demons and you still are. And because your power lives inside of us, we, we have power and confidence to live in freedom as well. Father, I pray that if there is anyone who is listening to this that is experiencing some level of demonic influence or oppression, that, uh, that they would step forward and step into the light and we could achieve some freedom for that person. I pray that you would free uh, uh, others and, and all of us from, from fear, uh, free us from, from worry, help us to, to live in your truth. And this is a good reminder for us to walk in the light. So help us, Lord, to walk in the light, to deal with sin where it exists so that we can experience your freedom. Thank you that you are mightier than Satan, you are mightier than demons, you are mightier than all evil. And we long for the day when you will deal with all of that once and for all. We know you will. And so we thank you, Jesus. Amen.